Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left bit Jab Productions present Edge of Sports bit. Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarn. The Schmada Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zarn. Joined as always. And maybe for the last time, a man who just got a job in Boston, his natural habitat, mm-hmm. Dan Baker, DB. Tell everybody what you're going to be doing, man. Oh, it's got something to do with footballs, I'm sure. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. It's going to be. It's going to be the great deflator. Producer <laughs> with uh, Lax Sports Network. It launches in January. Subscription-based service. All lax, all day long. My so man. lax, meaning that you know, very relaxed. Like no one's going to be expending a lot of energy. Beer pong, those kinds of sports. Lacrosse, exactly. Oh, lacrosse. Okay, lax. I don't know. I don't speak that language. I didn't go to a prep school like Coach. How you doing, Coach? <laughs> prep school. <laughs> I'm fine, my man. I'm fine. Uh, yeah, I pushed you. <laughs> All right, so we got a hell of a show this week. Check it out what we're going to do. First, we're going to talk about my weekend, which was spent with the San Antonio Spurs. Mm-hmm. Got to watch like hours of practice. Mm-hmm. Was there with Dr. John Carlos, 1968 Olympian. And now I'm here to talk about what happened. Yes, sir. Second thing, we're going to talk about Stephen A. Smith. Oh, my. And his comments to Kevin Durant. <laughs> That you do not want to make an enemy out of me. What? We're going to talk about that. And then lastly, uh-huh. lastly, uh-huh. we're going to, I'm really excited about this. We're going to interview uh, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. They are a director, producer, writing team. They did the film Half Nelson uh, with Ryan Gosling. They did the film Sugar, the best baseball movie I've ever seen about a young Dominican pitcher coming to the bigs. Sugar was amazing. And now they got a film called Mississippi Grind. And Mississippi Grind is with Ben Mendelsohn and Ryan Reynolds, and it's about gamblers playing poker, doing the grind. Coach, you a big card man? Mm-mm. Just, uh-uh. <laughs> Not at all. Is poker a sport, coach? Good question. What say you? We're going to ask him. Okay. I mean, honestly, my my template has always been that anything you can gain weight or smoke cigarettes while doing is not a sport. That's (laughs) always been my line. Right. And poker, obviously, you know, Mm -hmm. you do both Mm -hmm. those things with with, with relish. Mm -hmm. Yet, I I really have these questions. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's a sport because at the same time, it takes a hell of a lot of skill. It's a hell of a lot of competition. And you got to respond to pressure. Pressure, So there's a lot of elements of sport there. Mm -hmm. But we're going to ask them because they've been around it deep. Is our show sport? Hell yeah, it is. It's Edge of Sports, baby. (laughs) We got to go to break. We'll be back after this. 
Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Don't by the coach, Kevin Nutt. How you doing, coach? My man. Ah, coach, man. What a weekend it was. <laughs> I bet, I bet. I'm, I'm in jealous San of you. Antonio. And it, with John Carlos, we were invited by Greg Popovich to address the team about mm-hmm. the 1968 Olympics. I spoke for about five, ten minutes. Uh, Dr. John, he spoke for a little bit longer than that, but then fielded a ton of questions from the players. Over under three hours. Oh, way under, way under. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. No, we weren't there. No, no, I hear you. But we weren't there that long. And then we got to sit in and watch practice. And mm-hmm. it was an eye-opening experience, to put it mildly. We also got to hang out and talk a great deal with Coach Pop and his assistant coaches, including Becky Hammond, of course, the first female assistant coach in the NBA. And she's an incredibly impressive person. Right. Whoa, 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 you said uh, it was mind-boggling, I forgot the term you used about watching practice. Why? Well, what was so interesting about it, first and foremost, is, you know, I played high school basketball. Oh, yeah, yeah, 5'9 center out of the Bronx or Harlem or wherever 5'10. But the interesting (laughs) thing about basketball is that the language of it is pretty much the same on, I think, every level. Once you get to high school, the language of it is the same. In other words, a pick-and-roll is a pick-and-roll. A back screen is a back screen. And yet, obviously... The, the people I was watching play are some of the best conditioned, skilled athletes in the world. And so it was just fascinating to watch. Like, I wanted to run out there and take part of the drills because I knew every drill that they were doing. I knew, mm. you know, pick and pop. I knew everything that they were doing. <laughs> and, and it's just like I wanted to be out there because, you know, it, I think that makes it unique. You know Boy, what I'm saying? I'm resisting. I'm resisting. <laughs> no, it makes it unique, though, because, like, NFL rule book would be a mystery to me. Handbook would be an utter mystery to me. Like, taking batting practice. Practice against someone throwing a 96 mile an hour fastball would be a mystery to me. Trying to hit a curveball would be a mystery to me. But running off a screen to shoot a 20 foot shot for a drill is not a mystery to me. I just would not hit 20 in a row like even their worst players were doing. Mm-hmm. Like the people struggling to make the team when they're alone in a gym are hitting you know 20 out of 20 shots. I mean, I saw Kawhi Leonard alone in the gym maybe knock down 18 out of 23 pointers, mm-hmm. like just by himself with somebody mm-hmm. rebounding for him. Mm-hmm. And that's just crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. Like the amount of skill on display. And you realize that I think the number one thing that separates NBA players, or the three things from which is what I saw that separates NBA players from the rest of us, is um, obviously height is one. That just goes without saying. Obviously conditioning. I mean, they never are out of breath, ever. Uh, 38-year-old Tim Duncan. I mean, I saw him run his butt off, and he's just still like an amazing cardiovascular shape. And then, But then the third thing is that they can respond to the pressure, the noise, the distractions, and still play at a high level. Like, I think, like, I was a very good free throw shooter in high school. I think if I was on an NBA game with crowds cheering, I would hit three out of ten free throws. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's just intense yeah. when you're out there. Yep. And it was intense watching them. And I'll tell you, the other thing about watching practice that was so interesting is that, you know, I've seen other NBA practices before in my life. I've never, but I've never had, like, six hours to watch one, like, up close this way. Six hours? What are we talking about? What do you mean? Like, they did, like, a couple of practices, you know, it was like... So you were there for more than one practice. You saw two practices. Yeah, they did a break and then came back out. I mean, it was... um, A -a two-a-day session or something? 
Yeah, six hours is a bit of an exaggeration yeah. as I think about it. <laughs> the point is, cool. and I guess I'm including everything too, like right. us getting okay. there from the time we got there to we right. left the facility. Right. But but the point is, is like when they were done with the drills and did the scrimmage, everybody was playing all out. Like and the competition was fierce. It was like black team versus silver team, you know, Spurs colors. Mm-hmm. And it was fierce. Mm-hmm. Like the, the play was fierce, but like between the people struggling to make the team and people like and Manu and Tim and Tony Parker, like people were busting their butts to win that scrimmage. And the thing that's different about the Spurs that um was really like it's what you hear, but I saw it with my own eyes, is that everybody buys in to what Pop and the assistants are of teaching. Course. So it's like there I didn't see the like one of the big questions for the Spurs coming in this season is the Spurs rely on const the ball is moving constantly and Lamarcus Aldridge is someone who's their big free agent acquisition. I mean, he's somebody who's known when he gets the ball, to he holds it. Like, the ball mm. kind of stops when it mm-hmm. goes to Aldridge's hands. And so one of the things I was watching for is, like, is Aldridge getting rid of the ball? Is Aldridge passing it? And he's, like, half a beat behind everybody else because, obviously, at the start of training camp, he's still learning. But you could see the way he was feeding in from what everybody else was doing. Like, nobody was holding on to that ball. And, dude... Manu Ginobili, like, when you see him up close, is, like, the sickest passer I've ever seen. Like, when you actually see, like, right hand, left hand, whip passes to the mm-hmm. corner to Danny Green from three. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just was – and it just was really interesting, like, to watch how hard 38-year-old Tim Duncan is playing in a scrimmage. And his team barely lost. He slammed the ball on the ground, and it was kind of cool to see that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remembered the story of Andrew Bynum about what precipitated his release from, I believe it was the Cavs, was he started, like, hoisting half-court shots in practice. Like, they would run scrimmages in practice, and he just started shooting from half-court, just totally not giving a bleep. Like, I couldn't even imagine that happening in this context. Bynum was a spur? No, no, no. When he, uh, no, when he was with uh, the, uh, I said... Lakers and... No, no, no. Uh, the Cavs. Okay. He was briefly with okay. the Cavs okay. and then released right. because he was shooting half-court shots in okay. practice. All right. Okay. I, just, I just can't even imagine that right. in this kind. Con- like it was so professional right. and so professionally done. But the thing that separates Pop, though, and this was something that there were a lot of coaches. He a lot of coaches come in to watch him. Like Paul Hewitt was there just watching. Mike Brown was there. They said Tom Thibodeau was there the previous day. Scotty Brooks was coming the next day. And the thing that I talked to them and they say is that what makes Pop really different is not that you know it's an open book. There are no secrets. It's not like Belichick where you've got like the secret stuff they're doing that they're going to spring out in games. Like, it's it's the same stuff. What's different is, one, the amount that the players buy into it, and two, that Pop, I mean, it's like he's cracking jokes. He's, like, keeping people loose. People love to play for him. And him bringing John Carlos in is so symptomatic of that because mm-hmm. he clearly cares about them. Mm-hmm. Not just as players, but as people. It reminds me of what Joe Ehrman, the who we've interviewed on this show, who used mm-hmm. to play for the Colts, and he does coaching for life and inside-out coaching. Like his concept, which I know you've heard me talk about before, is the difference between transactional and transformational coaching. Mm-hmm. And transactional means that you're coaching for your own ego gratification. And transformational means that you're actually using sports to develop the people around you. Check. Now you see, you know, you see a lot of good coaches at the youth level who are on that transformational tip. Like, you know, all my son's coaches have not been win-win people. Like, they actually care about the kids. Mm -hmm. You rarely in the pros 
see coaches who are like, I care about you as people off the court. I care about how you're developing. Uh-uh. Nah. They, they care about winning. Mm-hmm. And you understand why. With the pressure, the money, and all of that, Pop is just like, no. I care about that you knowing this history. Mm-hmm. And that was really deep. Mm-hmm. And the players who'd been there, it's once again, they got it immediately. And the new players, people like Jimmer Fredette was there, and Rasul Butler, who was here on the Wizards, who I got to talk to for a long time, LaMarcus, David West. I mean, they were all like, whoa, this is like crazy. We're listening to John Carlos, and that was really cool. Stay on that. So how long did John talk, and then how long was the Q&A after? Uh, and I, I took part in the Q&A. I answered some questions, too. Uh, John, we were in the, the screening room, which was like, look, imagine like a movie theater with only yeah. 30 seats in it. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. So comfortable feeling. seats, you yeah, know, people I'm sitting sorry. up. Uh, John spoke for about 15 minutes, and then we did Q&A, I think, for about half an hour. So it doubled the amount of time. That showed you right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that was, and Pop actually interrupted Carlos and was like, all right, stop talking. And you know when he interrupted him? When Carlos started to give praise to Popovich. Like, that's, he didn't want, no, he didn't want Pop. any of that. Yeah, yeah, he was like, stop yeah. it, stop it. He said, yeah, he said no, yeah. no, no. They, he actually said something like, they already know I stink. No, yeah. no, no, let's just get to the questions. <laughs> right. And the questions were deep, man. Yeah. The question, I don't want to say what they were out of privacy, but the questions were deep. And I don't know if this Spurs team is going to gel, but some of the things that I I saw that made me feel like very hopeful is, yo, David West, who not a lot of people are talking about, he's in sick shape. (laughs) He showed up, you know, he took a ton less money. Yeah, I know. He showed up ready to roll. Of course. And that was cool. He wants that ring. Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. Hey, and you know what? We could talk about this more if you've got questions. I also want to talk mm-hmm. some Stephen A., but we'll mm-hmm. be back right after this. One, one, two, two, Don't one, two, move. Three, Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You don't want to make an enemy out of me. And I'm looking right into the camera, and I'm going to say it again. You do not want to make an enemy out of me. I'm not having it. I've done nothing wrong. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. You do not want to make an enemy out of me, coach. Such a punk. And I'm saying this right into the camera, coach. You do not want to make... All right. For those of you who don't know, and if you don't know, you are... It's a sign that you actually have a very good life, or a life at all. That was Stephen A. Smith from the much-reviled ESPN show First Take. Uh, Basically... Threatening Kevin Durant with constant, not threatening him with violence, of course, but threatening him with uh, constant anger, I guess, and, and, and hot takes talking about his ability and whatnot. Uh, because Kevin Durant said, after Stephen A. Smith said, God, it's like, I swear to God, it's like teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen A. Smith said that he heard a rumor that Kevin Durant was thinking about going to the Lakers mm-hmm. after this year. Kevin Durant said, I don't talk to Stephen A. Smith. No one in my family talks to Stephen A. Smith. He's lying. So he called Stephen A. Smith a liar. And Stephen A. Smith said, among other things, who gets more takes than I do? Who knows more people than I do? Are you saying you don't talk to me when I see you? Of course you do. You're saying your mother, who's a beautiful person, doesn't talk to me? Of course she does. And all these things like that, whatnot, Stephen A., my goodness. So, Coach, (laughs) my first thought when I was hearing this was, this is why a whole lot of the media 
and players don't get along. Mm-hmm. This is why they don't get along. Mm-hmm. And this is part of the problem is that uh, players, you know, they have social media, they have the Twitters, they have the Facebooks, they got the Players Tribune, mm-hmm. and they what they don't have is reporters and journalists that they trust. And mm-hmm. it's not just Kevin Durant's response. It's Stephen A. Smith's over-the-top response to the response. Right. I mean, a much different response would have been to say, well, I spoke to some people who said that, and I look forward to speaking to Kevin Durant about it in person. That would right. have been one way to right. respond. Right. Right. But he responded a much different way. The other thing it brings to mind is, and I hate to refract everything through my weekend, but I just have a tough time imagining a universe where someone on the Spurs – would be drawn into a fight or a tete-a-tete with Stephen A. Smith. And so it makes me wonder about some of the, honestly, some of the choices Kevin Durant is making because Kevin Durant's not a kid anymore. I mean, we're talking, what, eight years now? Mm -hmm. In the L, his next contract is going to be the last contract that takes him through his prime. Still no titles. I mean, he's got a potential to fulfill. He can't be worrying about this. So that's where I am right now on this. It makes me concerned about where Durant's head is at, and it makes me concerned about uh, the fact that we care about Stephen A. Smith. Well, as it relates to Durant, um, he he lost his season last year with the foot injury. Um, I'm concerned about the foot injury because, you know, you're talking about somebody 6'11 with foot injuries. What's the first name that comes to mind? Bill Bill Walton. Walton. And uh, so Sam I know Bowie. I Sam mean, Bowie. It's, yep. just, it's yep. a horrible so, history. Right. So I know he's on high alert. So, and he's my man. He's a DC cat. Reffed him, coached him, whole nine yards. So, but getting back to Stephen A. Who does he think he is? I mean, and you know that's the media guys. They've gotten so big now. I mean, they all do. All the ESPN talking heads are doing commercials. Berman, Berman is thinks he's the the best thing to NFL football. I mean, they really think they are the players now. What is he going to do? If, if Durant says, I'm not talking to you, what is he going to do? Just sit there and rant with um, Bayless on his show and talk about it? No. Yeah, he'll, that's what he'll do. He'll talk all what, kinds of crap is what he'll do. Do you know who I am type of thing? Yeah, you get out of here, you <laughs> punk. That, you just none of that appealed to you at all. <laughs> Absolutely not. And, and more so because I, I, I'm a Durant guy. Yeah. And he's from my city. And so, man, who are you? It, <laughs> I can't get over this. Yeah, I know. I hear you. I hear you. I mean, what he is is an entertainer. Right now, and there's no question that him saying it that way is if he's you know like Paul Sorvino in Goodfellas <laughs> or something. There's no doubt that it has an entertainment value. And Dave, let me ask you this: because Whitlock went, followed up because you know he's leaving ESPN oh. now and in a blaze of fire, and he said that ESPN encouraged him, promoted him, and uh, uh, endorsed Stephen A. to keep 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 it going to step to Durant like he did. You agree with that, Kevin? Durant, let's take him out of this conversation for a second. Jason Whitlock is so full of crap. His exact words um, in his little Twitter storm were that ESPN is more than happy to have black commentators criticize black athletes, but they don't want people criticizing the NFL brass or whatnot. I mean, this is seriously, this is like Dick Cheney calling Obama a war criminal because (laughs) Jason Whitlock has made his living Mm -hmm. by being a sexist, by being disgustingly racist towards young black men in terms of how he speaks about them, calling them the new KKK, which shows mm. a almost brutal, brutal ignorance of history mm. and who the mm. KKK mm. was mm. and how they operated. He I once compared that. himself to Rosa Parks for having the guts to stand up to this young generation of black kids. I mean, this is disgusting, right. vile right. stuff. I, 
And right. I mean, and so for him to say that ESPN somehow encourages that, it's like, are you saying then that they encourage that in you? Because I don't see Jason Whitlock writing against the NFL brass. I certainly do see him uh, writing a whole lot about black athletes, black kids, whatnot. And he's like that on camera, off camera. He is the reliable kind of conservative black face that's going to say things to make white listeners comfortable which is why he was a terrible choice for a black interest site, The Undefeated. undefeated. It's why it floundered. It's why he got fired. And frankly, it's why he's now going to find a home on Fox Sports. Where he he left to go to do The Undefeated. Yeah, and remember the name of the show that he was going to do on Fox Sports? The proposal was going to be called Red, White, and Truth. I mean, if you you can imagine a cornier title than that, I don't even know. And And that's frankly all you need to know. Right. And, and, and enough of that. I just the Stephen A. thing just really. I mean, I, I was just want to backhand him, yeah. uh, but he's not no, anybody's tough guy. Uh, he just rants loud and, and thinking that talking. And loud he wasn't trying to be, t- but he wasn't trying to be tough from a physical perspective. No, I know that. I know. But, he's but trying still, to be tough by th- saying that, like, I have the microphone and I can make your career very difficult. If Durant scores thirty <laughs> and his team goes deep in the playoffs, you know, it means nothing because then Stephen A. Smith looks like. Frankly, the way Skip Bayless is still hating on LeBron James. Right. I mean, it's like at some point, that's the thing about being in the media. It's like at some point, you have to tell the truth about what you see or else mm-hmm. you're going to have no credibility. Right. Right. And right. that's right. why Skip Bayless currently right. has right. no credibility. And that's gotcha. why I think ESPN is in a very, like right now, they're backpedaling and covering their behinds because they've done all of this integrated coverage on DraftKings and FanDuel and these different kind of betting sites that now look are embroiled in this kind of drama right now, mm-hmm. this insider trading drama. And th- they weren't only just showing ads door-to-door, wall-to-wall. They were also doing things like having their own on-air talent speak about yes. how different— I mean, I was listening to Mike and Mike, and they were talking about that ridiculous Calvin Johnson fumble out of the end zone that was right. batted out against the Seahawks, cost the Lions the game. They weren't only talking about it from a football perspective. They talked about the person who would have won $1.2 million right. in DraftKings. Right. Right. And it's kind of like, okay, so this is now just a mainstreamed, integrated part of sports coverage? It's a, and, and now it's looking like it might just be this big sham, this rigged operation where a lot of the money that's being handed out, it's possible, this is what's alleged, is going to people who have inside information. I mean, because let me explain to you, Coach, because yeah, you I said mean, to me beforehand that you mm-hmm. don't, you're trying to figure out how you cheat at this, how it works. Mm-hmm. This is the way it works. You know, it's like a, a fantasy drafter. You can pick any players you right. want, any I'm players. Just all that. Right. Yeah, and so you imagine if you're trying to pick the best possible team, you're going to pick Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady as quarterback, mm-hmm. Julio Jones wide receiver, Antonio Brown. You're going to pick the people that you are guaranteed of having a lot of wins. Right, but you got a budget. But go. Uh, see, no, no, it's not about budgeting at all. That's not, not how it works. No, when you pick those players, they, 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 there's a cost value on them, and you no. Gotta, that's uh, not I how thought, it works. Oh, is that right? I thought it, it was. It, no, no. The way it works is imagine like the NCAA tournament, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to win a tournament pool, you're probably not going to win it by picking Duke to win every year. You're going to win it by picking upsets right. that other people don't get. Right. So think about it. Say you have inside information that on a given week for whatever reason, 90% of people are picking Aaron Rodgers, but only like 8% are picking Tom Brady because maybe Aaron Rodgers is playing some soft team or whatever. If you have that information in advance, you pick Tom Brady because then if Tom Brady is good, your competition is very I limited. Okay. You see what I'm yes, saying? Yes, yes. 
And so and so that's what you do. So it's like you're able to see, for example, like if in a given week some very prime players aren't being picked by the mass, by the hundreds of thousands of people who are playing, your odds of winning go up mm-hmm. dramatically. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what they're saying is that people who worked at these sites, mm-hmm. they had inside information about, okay, wow. And, all, and they had no policy. Like if you worked for DraftKings, there was no policy that you couldn't bet in FanDuel. Right. right. And if you're at FanDuel, there's no policy you couldn't bet in DraftKings. Right. And all of it because the U.S. Congress classified it as games of skill instead of gambling. All of it is unregulated and untaxed. Mm-hmm. And all of it, the leagues have partnerships with right. all of them. Yeah. And yeah. two yeah. NFL Jerry owners, Jones. Kraft and Jerry Jones, yeah. they right. have an ownership right. stake in DraftKings. Yeah. Uh, NBA owners, they're not just in a partnership with FanDuel, but they right. bought part of FanDuel. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. so this is some serious stink. What's where? What's the end game here? I think the end game is the government takes um, a scalpel to these uh, sites, reclassifies it. Maybe they don't reclassify it as gambling, but even if they, but but they uh, regulate and tax them, okay. and they do massive oversight. And it is gambling, and it's scary because you can uh, you can do it over the phone, and it's just like a, they're a large bookie. And it's 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 frightening because you could you could play this every day. The, every the, day. the criticism is well, you're gonna you draft in August and you don't see the result. You have your team for 14, 16 weeks, That's so you not do how this. this works. But this I know this is every day in, in every sport. So, it's, so yeah. you, get, you get action and, every night, and that's and dangerous. It, yeah, and it takes the thing that's the most fun about fantasy sports, which is the drafting, and you get to pick whoever you want. No frustration mm-hmm. about oh, someone took Julio Jones. Exactly. You take all your people, but since everybody's taking Julio Jones, you never win. Well, yeah, 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 it's yeah. the person. Person who takes uh, Stephen right. Hill, right, right, who then blows up one week. That's the right. person who wins. Well, but so, the, but the action, the gambling action every night is yeah. dangerous. No, I'm very, with you. Very dangerous. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'm not even against gambling, sport. but I want that stuff monitored within an well, inch I'm of its life. Gambling, I know. Well, that's where we no disagree. Yeah, you're also against drinking. <laughs> uh, hey, we got to go to break. We'll be back after this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. How you doing, coach? All well, man. All, all well, all well. Um, there is a film that is out in theaters right now. It is rocking a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. That means 90% of all film reviewers say it's awesome. The film is called Mississippi Grind, and it is about a grinder of a poker player named Jerry, played by one of my favorite actors, Coach. I bet you don't even know this guy. His name's Ben Mendelsohn. You gotta you gotta find him seriously, and he's teaming up with a younger poker player who goes by the name of Curtis, and he's played by Ryan Reynolds, much more well known actor, mm-hmm. in an attempt to change his luck, and then they set off on a road trip to the South with visions of a big poker playing score. And we have on the line right now the director, producer, writer team around this film. They also gave us Half Nelson. They gave us Sugar, otherwise known as the best baseball movie ever made. So happy to have them on the show. Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. How you guys doing? Hey, thanks, Dave. Great. Well, first I got to ask you, 90% Rotten Tomatoes. I know that's not why you make films, but it has to feel good to have a film about such a, let's just say, I don't know what you would call it, like an uncomfortable, sub, a grubby subject get such acclaim. That has to feel good. Yeah, it always feels good when people see the movie and, and like it. You know, you, you want more people to go see it in the theaters and uh, because... That's why we started making movies, because of the theatrical movie-going experience. But the reality today is more people see these things on, on video. But, uh, yeah, it's good to hear that people are responding positively to the movie. 
Do you check to see which critics say what because there's some you respect more than others? Does it work that way, or is it more just the cumulative effect? Okay, we got good ratings here. We can now move forward confidently that this is a good film. Yeah, I think that you know there are some movie critics that we kind of have been reading for a long time, and we kind of want to check out their reviews. For me, I personally don't like to read reviews of my own movie unless um, unless Ryan points one out and says you absolutely have to read this one uh, because it gets it gets a little overwhelming. It does feel really good to have people saying positive things about the movie and and you know to hear that people a lot of the reviewers have kind of said that they're surprised by it, which is always fun. Do you guys ever sneak in the back of theaters that are showing it to gauge reactions, or is that almost unbearable after you've been so inside this project for so long? We've done a lot of Q&As for the movie, so we tend to like show up at the end of the movie for that when people expect us to be there, but we haven't really snuck into a movie where nobody knows we're going to be there. We haven't tried that yet. We did that on our previous movies, but not on this one. Well... Look, I've always had the contention that um, nothing that you can gain weight or smoke cigarettes while doing is a sport, which seems to ex- <laughs> which seems to exclude poker from that definition. But honestly, what I know about it is extremely limited. So as, since you guys have been living it, let me ask you the question. Is poker a sport? Well, nowadays, most poker rooms and casinos, you can't smoke in. You have to leave the room to smoke. Oh, so- man. If it's on ESPN, doesn't it make it a sport? I don't. Isn't that what it defines sporting? <laughs> if it's on ESPN, it's a sport. Good lord, that means first take and some of the talking head shows are sports. Also, <laughs> I don't think my brain can get around that. But but when you when you I assume you guys like watched a lot. I did a lot of research and watching it. Like it, it does the level of tension, the the mixture of strategy and luck. Uh, does it feel like going to a sporting event? It can. I mean, I don't think it's really um, a spectator sport the way that we we talk about traditional sports. I think that you really—it's one of those things you really just have to be in and playing to appreciate the nuance of. Especially if you're watching. I mean, I guess on TV you can see people's cards, so that makes it a little bit interesting because you can kind of read what the players are doing. Uh, but when if you're if you're standing around a table and you can't see what anyone's cards are, there's really no reason to be watching people play poker. I have to say, except in our movie, <laughs> <laughs> because you also know their cards. That's right. <laughs> well, what um what about this subject intrigued you guys? Because I th- I feel and you should tell me if I'm wrong and if you disagree, but I, I see like a common thread in in a lot of your films, uh, and I think I've seen all of them. Um, since Half Nelson going forward, is that th- there's this common theme of people who are have tremendous talents, maybe they're not applying them in the best way, and they're kind of hanging on to the fringes of being able to exercise those talents, and maybe they're hanging on to the fringes of their sanity as well. Um, and what about this poker? Maybe you should also, first of all, correct me if you don't think that's a running thread in your films. But but what about this subject? Do you feel like connects with your previous work? I think what you said is good. I like I like how you phrase that. That's not the, we don't start from that premise and move from on from there. But I think that just happens to be those those are the kind of characters that we like. So, for instance, with this film, we started with a location. Back when we were making sugar in 2007, we were spending a lot of time in Iowa uh, where we spent two months shooting. And we went on weekends, we discovered these riverboat casinos, which were sort of the anti-glamorous, the anti-Vegas 
if you can call them that, kind of seedy, dark casino places. And we thought, man, these, this is a cool location to, to start a story. Like maybe two guys meet in a poker room in one of these places and then hit the road. So it just kind of evolved from there. But in terms of the characters, I think when, when the characters started becoming better defined and evolving, they became like those characters you just described. Um, because we like flawed humans. We like people who are trying to do the right thing but just find it difficult sometimes to to um, make the decisions that we hope they make. Um, Anna, do you have anyone in your family, or does Ryan have anyone in his family who have the the card playing bug? People who who are part of this life in any way? Nobody in my family, um, and I don't know. Uh, you know that it that was part of the mystique for us. I think was was kind of coming into this world and learning about it and. You know, same thing when we were making Sugar about a Dominican baseball immigrant. We didn't know much about what that life was and, and to kind of go down to the Dominican Republic and, and get in there and do the research and talk to people and meet people. It really kind of was similar with this. You know, we found this location and then we started talking to the types of people who play poker in the Midwest and kind of grind out a living doing doing that kind of uh, a thing and it, that that's what drew us to it um you know every every film is like an opportunity to learn about a new little pocket of america mm. it, it's like uh rounders from the perspective of john Turturro, except through the south <laughs> i mean which is which is kind of deep i mean if you think about it because that that's the idea of being a grinder, I mean, it doesn't immediately lend itself to thinking big screen film, but you guys totally make this work. I, I wanted to ask you the, about the casting because it's so interesting to me because first billing, you have Ben Mendelsohn, who is this critical darling right now, also someone who could probably walk through this radio studio right now and very few people would recognize him. He could walk through probably pretty anonymously, just one of the best actors working today. And then second billing, you've got Ryan Reynolds, who's this big movie star. And sometimes casting choices make their own statement. Was that conscious for you guys to try to do that kind of pairing of like indie darling, great actor, Ryan Reynolds, well-known movie star who the audience has immediate assumptions when they see him on screen? You know, I, could, I wish I could say it was totally by design. I think there was a little bit of planning in that, but it was kind of by accident. I mean, I have to say, you know who Ben Mendelsohn is, but like a lot of your listeners, we did not when his name first came up for this part. In fact, when when I saw the first time I saw him was in a movie called Place Beyond the Pines, where he played mm-hmm. the motorcycle mechanic bank robber with with Ryan Gosling, and I just thought he was some local dude in upstate New York that they cast <laughs> who probably was a real mechanic. He just felt so real and lived in in that part that I I, I couldn't believe that that was an actual actor playing that guy. Uh, sure enough, he's a legend. I mean, he's been acting for decades. Mm-hmm. He's really famous in Australia, where he's from, and. Um, and so when he came up, we met with him out in Los Angeles. We sat down, and he was just—he just blew us away. He's just like such a special character that we offered him the part on the spot in like five minutes. And then uh, from there, it was—we needed—we basically we needed a movie star to get the financing for the film. And so we were sort of going through our list of movie star names, and Ryan Reynolds' name came up. And same thing, we met with him, and we just thought he would be a perfect complement to to Ben's energy. He's this wonderful, charismatic guy that kind of is a real-life handsome leprechaun to uh, to Ben's sort of um, struggling grinder. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's 
I mean, Ryan Reynolds is getting like just rave reviews for this. And a lot of the reviews are almost like people are surprised. I mean, I've read several where people are like, Ryan Reynolds can act as if it's a, a big surprise to them that, that, this, is, that this is actually happening. Um, in terms of their onset energy to people who come from these very different places, did they have a similar, a similar process, an off-camera rapport, or was there a difference in terms of how you had to direct them or how they interacted? Well, I mean, they had a magical chemistry behind the scenes. I mean, they, they met, and it was like slow, slow motion love affair, <laughs> you know? They really just, uh, they they got along and uh, loved spending time with each other, very, like, quick wit, and, and I think that that really comes across on screen in terms of their uh, chemistry and and just wanting these two guys to kind of come together and 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 win together and um but in terms of their process as actors they are very different actors um but both super um present and uh quick in terms of being able to react to different things that happen and, and spontaneity and and uh you know, Ryan does do something really different in this role um, that we haven't seen him do before, but I don't think it's fair to say that he hasn't proven that he can act. I mean, movies like Buried, I'm not sure if mm-hmm. you saw it, but he, I Fantastic. mean, he has... Yeah, he's a man in a box for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. He has nobody else to, to work with. Yeah, he pulled off something pretty stunning in that film. Um, and, and in this one, I think that the surprising thing is that he blends so well into these kind of, um, you know, kind of divey environments. And, and it really feels like he belongs in these places and, and people are used to seeing him as more of the movie star action hero role. And, um, and he just does something different here. Uh, and, and I think it is special to watch, but... Uh, you know, not not fair to say that he hasn't acted before. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree with you entirely. It's just it's a tribute to the performance that a lot of critics are sort of sitting up and taking notice. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, some of the places you filmed. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you filmed in a lot of places that were hit by Hurricane Katrina ten years ago. Uh, what was there? Was there any sense when you were, when you were filming on location that 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 was sort of a part of the scenescape, a part of the story that you were trying to tell? No, it, it didn't end up, it, it didn't end up kind of making its way into the story very much. It, it wasn't like a big part of um, New Orleans and where they were going was kind of like their Oz in a certain way. Mm. And they always kind of held this like magical quality that, that this is where they're heading to. And, and um, you know, it's the pot of gold at the end of their rainbow. While we were shooting, though, I mean, Hurricane Katrina and, and you know, the, the after effects are still so present in everybody's lives. I mean, you know, when we would go location scouting and looking for houses to, to, to shoot in, People were talking about, you know, how much of the house was underwater and, and yeah. it's still, you know, very much um, in the present of that city. And you can't you can't avoid it when you're talking to people who've been living there for the past 10, 20 years. Wow. Well, the film is Mississippi Grind. I actually I already have my tickets. I'm seeing it at the AFI Silver Spring this weekend. I can't be more excited to see it. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on Edge of Sports.
Yeah, always always good to talk to you, Dave. Thanks. Thank you. So excited. Oh, my God. Ben Mendelsohn. Ah, I'm like a Ben Mendelsohn groupie, so I'll try to keep it chill. Uh, thank you, guys. Awesome. Great people. Ryan Fleck, Anna Bowden. The film is Mississippi Grind. We'll be back right after this. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Let's start Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio wrapping up a terrific show. Coach, you said you had a couple more Spurs yeah, questions, yeah, though, man. Real Talk quick. to me. You know, because you said something early on about uh, the size of these, these athletes. And I tell people, because I've ref the pro mm-hmm. athlete at uh, Summer League and so forth, and even the guys on the bench that everybody's criticizing, they say are trash, can play. Oh, yeah. Their, their skill set is oh, very, yeah. very good. You oh, know? yeah. And, no, uh, without question. The yeah. best player on the court in, um, in the scrimmage I saw uh, was Patty Mills. Mm. And Patty Mills is probably the eighth seventh, man? eighth man ninth, on that yeah, team. Yeah. He had some great playoff moments, right. of course. Right. He just looked great out right. there. Right. And it's just because, you know, he got hot and he could really, right. really play. Well, I mean, he was right. a star in college. Great? And you know who else looked great was Rasul Butler on the Wizards yeah. who last year yeah. shooting 50% yeah. from three right. and then Whitman buried him on the bench. Right. How many guys were there? That's what I wanted to ask you. Oh, about tw- about uh, 20 to 25 guys. And, and they know, got to cut down to 15. Yeah, got to 15, 15, you're right, and, and 12, you know. Who are going to play, but and, 15 and, so get intense. to be on the roster. Yeah. Some of the guys are guaranteed D-leaguers and they know it right. and they're just there to uh, play. Right. And um, I, there was this guy who got a lot of potential. His first name, I can't remember his last name, Yusuf. His name was from Senegal. And he knows he was going D-League, and mm-hmm. he was there playing, and he looked really good. This other guy was there who they want on the team, seven three and a half, seven four dude from <laughs> Serbia. Okay. And it's just like, it's crazy. Like, I was talking to the trainer. I said, what do you see here the most? And she said to me, like, jam fingers, because their fingers are so damn mm-hmm. long that they get jammed mm. so easily. Mm. But I have to say, even in mm. this room of people who are just in this incredibly gifted physical shape, there are no words for how much Kawhi Leonard stood out in terms of physique, coordination. Mm. I mean, it's a special mm. kind of athlete. Oh, he's on his way to top 15. I mean, and, and I mean, no, but like someone's just play. like a point guard just dribbling the ball up the mm. court, and he, he just takes them 94 feet and takes the ball from right, them. Six, seven, long arms. I mean, he I mean, was special coming yeah, out of San Diego State. He yeah. was, but you know what yeah. he couldn't do out of San Diego State? Was shoot, shoot. the ball. Yeah. And they changed yeah. his entire shooting motion. Yeah. But I've said it as long as we've been on the show. That's the, that's the Anybody one thing can you can, can learn to shoot. Learn but to not shoot. everybody can teach it, though. Right. And they have right. this there assistant coach on the Spurs named Chip who played. Chip England from out of, yes. Duke, out of Duke. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. My man. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I got to go right yes, now. For DC, DC Dan, good luck in Boston, homie. Thank yes, you. sir. We're on mission, buddy. And coach, I'll talk to you soon, my man. Mm-hmm. We are out of here. Peace. Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. 
For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.